Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, and what we see there is how much he loved, how much Jacob loved Rachel. He really loved her. He loved her in life. He loves her in death. And his love, Jacob's love for Rachel, is described by the Song of Solomon, 8-7, you know, the Song of Solomon. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. See, that's Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is all about the power of love and how it's overcome by love. That's why Song of Solomon has the initials SOS. <laughs> You're in deep trouble. <laughs> Anyways. Forget that. All right. So for Jacob, Jacob, for Jacob, Rachel is the never to be forgotten one. Never going to forget her. And so when it says in verse seven, Rachel died by me. By the way, in the Hebrew, the word that's used there is on me. Rachel died on me. Rachel died on me. We don't know, but maybe it leads us to believe that Rachel died in his arms, in his arms. So, I mean, at this point, it's been over 40 years since this has happened, since Rachel died. He can't get over Rachel. Jacob can't get over Rachel. And with, you know, for, there's, a, there's a special term which is used in the Bible for describing death, especially in his case there. Death is described as being gathered to, your, to his people. He was gathered to his people. That has meaning for Jacob because he's thinking to himself, I'm going to be gathered to Rachel again. I'm going to be joined again, be back together with her. And for believers, that's a real comfort. That's a comfort. I mean, this is a comfort that God held out to Moses as he was about to die in Numbers 27, 13. In Numbers 27, 13, it says, God speaking to Moses says, I'm talking about the land, and he says, when thou hast seen it, thou also shalt be gathered unto thy people as Aaron thy brother was gathered. It's a great, great comfort sometimes. Reminds me of my son who was telling me about a lost person, and I told him, my son, I said, why don't you tell him that you want to spend eternity with him in heaven? My son said, because I don't want to spend eternity with him in heaven. <laughs> what can you do? Now, Jacob describes the time when Rachel died, as in, in verse 7, Rachel died by, by me in the land of Canaan in the way when there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath. So when Jacob said that Rachel died when there was just a little way to go, just a little way to go before they came to Ephrath. You can hear in Jacob's tone this surprise of the unexpected and the if-only type of grief he has here. You know, for Jacob, he wasn't expecting Rachel to die. I mean, she was in great health. 
She didn't look like a person who was going to die. She'd already had one son, that was Joseph. And so there was no reason to think that she was going to die in childbirth for the second time. She didn't even have twins. I mean, why should she die? It just should have been a normal routine delivery. Totally unexpected for Rachel to die. It's like the person who, you know, today, you know, says, she was such great shape. She's such terrific shape. A little lump on the breast. What was that? Who knew breast cancer would take her life? Or just a normal, beautiful day. Just a normal, beautiful day. Just sit out on the road. Who knew the fatal car accident would happen? It was, this is a surprise that's in Jacob's voice as he talks about Rachel. But worse than the surprise, when he's talking about how Rachel died, he's saying that just a little way, just a little way, just a little tiny way, it wasn't much to come to Ephrath. He's saying, why couldn't she have hold, held off? for just a little bit longer before she went into labor. We would have been in the town there. Maybe there'd been an inn. We could have gotten a room in an inn. We could have got better prepared for this childbirth. Or maybe he's blaming himself. He's saying, you know, maybe if I had just gotten up earlier start on the days, pushed a little bit farther each day, you know, we would have made it to Ephrath, and Rachel would have had a, maybe she would have had a chance of surviving in the childbirth if she was in the city and not out there on the road. So this statement of just a little way longer until we reached Ephrath, it's the heart distress of the what-ifs, the what-ifs. If only we had done that mammogram earlier. If only we had gone to the doctor more frequently. If only that road wasn't taken. If only it was a few minutes later, a few minutes earlier, and the accident wouldn't have occurred. See, all this shows that it's bad to live in this world of the what-ifs, which is where he's going. Because God's in control, and he allows. It's God allowing. And since God is good, it's like, where do we go from here now that this happened? After all, if for any believer, if he dies, the believer goes to heaven to be with the Lord. What could be better than that? And for the person left behind, it's like, what comes next in this adventure called life? What does God have in store for me next? That's the question to pursue, not the what-ifs of the past. So Jacob here, when he's looking back over his life and, and he's, he's, he's seeing all these different things which we have in this chapter here, really there's three words. There's three words to describe what he saw. The first word came out in verse 3. God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. So the first word is God. This is what he sees in his life, God. You know, Jacob is thinking back of the first time he met God was back there when the latter and the angels, and it's that made such an indelible impression on his life. It's like a stamp that never left Jacob's life. It's a good thing to go back to that time. It's a good thing for us to go back to the time when we called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, told him we were a sinner, asked him to save us from our sins. Good to go back to that. That's what Jacob's doing. Good to see that. And he, he says in verse 16, he says, the angel which redeemed me from all evil. Jacob sees his life as one evil after another. That's what he told Pharaoh. Few and evil have been the days of my life. He sees his life as one evil after another, but yet he sees God redeeming him from evil to evil to evil to evil, like the song says, you know, living below in this old sinful world, hardly a comfort can afford striving alone to face temptation sword, where could I go but to the Lord? Where could I go? Where could I go? 
seeking a refuge for my soul, needing a friend to help me in the end, where could I go but to the Lord? This is what Jacob's saying here. What he's saying is he's looking back over his life. He looks back over his life, he sees how, how lost he would be without the Lord. And then he looks back over his life, and he sees the next word, which we talked about, love. He sees the love that he has for Rachel, the love of his life. And then he looks back over his life. That was the second word, love. The third word is grief. He's got grief. He says, I, Rachel died, and I buried her. Okay. Now, Jacob is now, he's getting ready to die. And it's interesting that this scene here of, of Jacob getting ready to die, because, you know, there's a person in the Bible who actually envied the way Jacob died. He envied it. He described Jacob's death. He called it, it's the death of the righteous. The death of the righteous. And this person wished, I wished I could die the death of the righteous. I wish my last end would be like his. And that person did not die like Jacob. And his last end was not like Jacob's because that person was Balaam. And Balaam said in Numbers 23.10, Numbers 23.10, he put it this way, who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. So that raises the question, what is the death of the righteous? Well, the death of the righteous, first of all, is to die in Christ, is to die in Christ. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 3.9, Philippians 3.9, to be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is after the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So that's the first part of being death of the righteous, to be in Christ. The second part is described in that verse in Philippians 3.9. The death of the righteous is to die not having mine own righteousness. You know, it's so hard for a person to say, I'm a bad person. That's the hardest thing for a person to say. But the Bible says clearly in Psalm 14.3, Psalm 14.3, when God looked down from heaven, he looked on earth, he was looking over every person, and he came to his conclusion in Psalm 14.3. He said, they're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. That's like God saying, I looked everyone over and they didn't find one. As it says in Romans 3.10, Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. You know, Isaiah 64.6, Isaiah 64.6 makes a comment about our righteousness when it says we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses, it's a hard word to say, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So the great revelation is that God has another righteousness for us. It's not in ourselves, it's an imputed righteousness and it's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ made to account for our righteousness. Or, as God uses the word in Genesis 15, as Abraham believed God, and it says it accounted to him for righteousness, it chashavd. Chashavd is the Hebrew word for weave, wove, weave. So he wove righteousness into Abraham. Don't ask me how he did it, he just did it. Because it says in, in Romans 10.3, Romans 10.3, speaking about the Jewish people, they're ignorant of God's righteousness. They're going about to establish their own righteousness. They haven't submitted themselves to the righteousness of God because Christ is the end of righteousness to everyone that believes. 
and right now, if you were to ask a Jewish person, an Orthodox Jewish person, what name that he would take for himself that he would say, this is my identity, this is who I am, he'll say, a Jew, a Jew, as they always say to me. You need to come back to the fold, get back under the tent, and so forth. They have all these phrases. You know, a Jew should not be in a place like this. You know, he would say, anyway, you need to be among your own people. They make jokes that you laugh at. Anyway, but an Orthodox Jew would say that his identity is a Jew. That reflects his community. That reflects his heritage. That reflects his history. That is his identity, a Jew. But it's interesting because there's coming a day when the Jewish people will no longer call themselves a Jew as their identity. They'll take a new name. And the new name is described in Jeremiah 33, 16. Jeremiah 33, 16. And it happens after Judah is saved. It says in Jeremiah 33, 16, in those days shall Judah be saved and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. Their new identity and their name's gonna be the Lord our righteousness. You know, they'll see themselves as the ones that the Lord Jesus has imputed his righteousness on and they will now have this new name. The Lord Jesus is our righteousness. Now, the death of the righteous is when a person dies who has stopped working to try to establish his own righteousness. As it says in Romans 4, 5, Romans 4, 5, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So the death of the righteous is when a person dies focused on the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says that death is enough. He says, Dainu, that death is enough for us. That death is enough for me. It's enough for me, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is all about Isaiah 53.11. Isaiah 53.11 is the enough. That's enough when it says he shall see the travail of his soul. God's going to see this travail of his soul, shall be satisfied. If it's enough for God, it's enough for us. The travail of the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross satisfied all the requirements that God had for justice. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify, justice, justify many. He's going to bear their iniquity. Now, the death of the righteous is when a person is walking in the Spirit. When he's walking in the Spirit, he doesn't have condemnation on him. It says in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And, and how many times have you heard and I've heard a person, someone say, oh, to just be a sinner and then believe in Jesus and go out and sin again? That's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. That's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, you can do all kinds of horrible things. You say, I, I received Jesus, and you go out and do more horrible things. You know, the answer to that argument is found in the case of the history of the publican, the history of the publican in Luke 18, 11. In Luke 18, 11, it says the publican stood. He prayed thus, Pharisee rather, the Pharisee stood. A Pharisee stood, not the publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, saying, God, I thank thee. I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, and adulterers. Oh, like this publican over there. I'm not like him. I fast twice a day, and I give tithes of all that I possess. But the publican, standing afar off, would not so much as lift his eyes unto heaven, smote upon his breast, 
saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, the dirty, rotten type sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalts himself shall be abased. Him that humbles himself shall be exalted. So the publican, he didn't take his sins lightly. He was beating on his breast, and he was crying out to God for mercy. He so hated his sins. That's not the picture of a person who just callously goes out and sins and asks for forgiveness so they can go sin again. By contrast, the publican, I mean, the, the, the contrast to the publican, the Pharisee, he's proud. He's got self-righteousness sin, and he keeps on going on. So the death of the righteous is when a person has, he dies having a living, active relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the tragedy of people who assume that they can enter heaven without this living, active relationship in the Lord Jesus, only to find out that that was missing in Matthew 7.21, Matthew 7.21, where the Lord said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. He that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils in thy name done many wonderful works? Then I'll profess unto them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Like Sam always makes the emphasis about the two Spanish words, conocer and saber. The, the difference that uh, conocer, to know of, saber, to know. This word here is very much like conocer, ginosco, in Greek, Greek, and it means this type of close knowledge. So Jacob now is going to bless Joseph's sons, and he's going to show us that the work of God is not dependent on one person. The work of God goes on even when another person goes off the scene. So this is a baton passing. So Jacob now turns his eyes to Joseph's sons in verse 8, and Israel beheld Joseph's sons. So Jacob is looking squarely at Joseph's sons, and in verse 8 he says, who are these? You know, it's like, it's like a, that's pretty shocking. Someone looking right at you and saying, who are these? He's really blind. Jacob is really blind. He doesn't recognize his own grandson standing right in front of him. Yeah, I, I can understand that. One of my eyes is the power 10, minus 10. So you know, he, he, that's why I'm wearing glasses. Did you know that glasses are a relatively new invention? They've only been around for 700 years. Tech the Italians. They came up with it. I mean, imagine if you didn't have glasses, if you didn't have laser surgery. Well, and Jacob, he, he inherited his eyesight problems from his fa- father, Isaac, who was so blind, he couldn't tell the difference between his two sons, Esau and Jacob, and he relied on the sound of their voice, which almost gave Jacob away, and, and the smell of their clothes to tell the difference. So we just stop and think about that. I mean, here's God's man, God's patriarch, He's he's blind, and he wasn't always blind, by the way. There was a time when he was not blind, and he could see how beautiful Rachel was, so he kissed her, so he didn't kiss the wrong woman. But anyway, but he has become blind. He has become blind. He, he, He has become blind. And what's interesting here is that God did not prevent him from becoming blind. But what we see here is that God took care of him in his blind state. Now, to see this here, Jacob is so blind, and to realize that God was taking care of him in his blind state, that's a great encouragement for us. You know, it reminds me of when Billy Graham was asked 
why he thought that God allowed him to get Parkinson's disease, which is terrible. And Billy Graham responded, because God wanted me to trust him more. He wanted me to, to rely on him more. So Billy Graham fell into Parkinson's disease. And Jacob fell into blindness. And when we fall into an ailment like the whatever, James tells us that when you fall into these ailments, James says in James 1 verse 2, James 1 verse 2, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. All right, so Joseph, he recovers from the shock of first hearing his father say he's going to adopt his two sons. He's, he's recovered from the shock of seeing his father look right at his two sons and ask, who are these? And then he responds in verse 9, Joseph said unto his father, they're my sons who God has given me in this place. Now, he didn't just say, dad, these are my sons. These are your grandsons. Can't you see? He didn't say that. He, but he said, these are my sons whom God had given me in this place. I mean, first of all, Joseph calls his children God's gifts. He's the God gifts. They are gifts from God. What a wonderful way to see children a gift from God. It's terrible to abort a child. It's like saying, I don't want your gift. Discard it. But then Joseph went on to say that children were gifts from God, that God gave him in this place. When he's talking about this place, he's talking about Egypt. Now, Egypt was a place of idolatry, of immorality, of just so far from God. It was Egypt was a place that was the enemies of God. And Joseph is emphasizing, even though it's in this place that's so far from God, God still blessed me in this place, in this horrible place of Egypt. It reminds me of what happened to, to this man named William Funches during the Korean War, which he wrote about when a battle he said, I immediately turned left and started up the face of the mountain, he remembered. I only got six or eight feet up before an extended burst of bullets sprayed the area. I felt a sharp pain in my right foot and knew that I had been hit. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. 
Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, Creation Museum and Tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Grow deeper in God's Word with the Friendship with God King James Version Study Bible prepared by Tom Cantor. This genuine lambskin large print study Bible features the history of Israel, full-color timeline and maps, frequently asked questions about the Jewish Messiah, prophecy and fulfillment study, Hebrew root notations and definitions, the life study of Joseph, and so much more. Order your copy today for only $49.95. That's $49.95. And receive a free personal signed copy by Mr. Tom Cantor, along with your name engraved on the cover. To order your Friendship with God Study Bible, call 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Or visit us at creationbookstore.com. That's creationbookstore.com. 